Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast series aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. We cover a variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while hunting deer. In this episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast, I'm talking with Nate Sellers of Average Jack Archery about bow hunting accessories. Choosing the right bow for you is really important, but the accessories you choose are just as critical. Quality accessories can go a long way in enhancing your bow's performance and making the entire archery and bow hunting experience even more enjoyable. But should you shoot a three-pin sight or a single-pin sight? A drop-away rest or a whisker biscuit? A stabilizer or no stabilizer? And what kind of release should you shoot? The choices can be really overwhelming, but this episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast is all about simplifying the accessory selection process. Now, before we jump in, the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best action cameras on the market for the hunter and angler. They're on the cutting edge, making user-friendly cameras to help you share your hunts with friends and loved ones. Tacticam also makes the Reveal Cell Camera that has absolutely changed the game when it comes to quality cellular trail cameras at a price that everyone can afford. And one area that Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. In fact, in this episode, you'll hear that for spring turkey, and then for deer hunting this fall, I'll be running the Tacticam stabilizer mount to get some great footage of the shots that I take. If you've tried to film your hunts in the past, you know how frustrating it can be to try to get action cameras aimed just right or get it uh, attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a great second angle. And Tacticam makes all of that stuff a breeze with their line of accessories and adapters. If you're not already familiar with Tacticam, head over to their website, www.tacticam.com, and check out their full lineup today. Now, let's get into the episode and talk all things bow accessories with Nate Sellers of Average Jack Archery. Joining me on the podcast again is Mr. Nate Sellers from Average Jack Archery. Nate, what's going on? How much, buddy? Glad we could be here again. Yeah, man. Thanks for uh, coming on. It's been a whole uh, 30 minutes since the last time we recorded. Um, so. <laughs> I thought we trying to hold the facade for people. I know, I know, I know. We got we to gotta break down the wall and let people see behind the scenes just a little bit. But, uh, well, we just finished a long conversation uh, about choosing a bow that's right for you. And in that conversation, people got to get a little bit of background on you, what got you to where you are today with archery, and hear all about how you would walk someone through if they walked into your shop today and said, hey, I need a bow, right? Now I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about accessories. Um, I've known guys that have said, hey, you know what? Buy as expensive of a bow as you can. And if you have to go to Walmart and buy a $25 three pin sight and a $25 whisker biscuit, just roll with it Buy the cheapest accessories you can just get out in the woods. I've also talked to guys in the past who've said, uh, if you buy a $300 bow or if you've got a thousand dollar budget, you need to spend 300 on the bow and 700 on your accessories because that thing needs, you know, the accessories are where deer are killed kind of thing. What are you going to tell a guy? If I walk into your shop and I say, look, I got a thousand bucks to spend on accessories how much of that are you going to tell me to allocate towards those? 
So I'll go back to a mantra I live by is again, I cannot sell you confidence, but you can buy it. Yep. And one of the things is even guys that have flag, they want the latest and greatest Hoyt 1200, maybe a carbon, but 1600 bucks, 1700 bucks. I have shot a whisker biscuit for 20 years. It has never failed. I'm not shooting anything different. And so I take a $1,700 carbon bow and I put a $30 whisker biscuit on it. Wow. And dad gummit, he couldn't be happier. <laughs> we always joke then that we just put snow tires on a Ferrari. Yeah. But that's, you know, we snicker about it behind his back. But again, that's, that's his confidence. Now what I like to see him put higher end accessories on that because it's a high end bow, just like putting good gas into an expensive car. Sure. But that confidence builder is, is the key for there. And really the whisker biscuit though, versus like a drop boy rest is really the only kind of caveat. It's only asterisk to the thing because buying a good site is a good site. Buying a good release is a good release, stuff like that. Uh, the, the whisker biscuit or a drop boy or a capture rest in general versus a drop boy is, is a different story. But, um, I'm of the, of the flavor that you should match your accessories to your bow. That's kind of my thing. You know, if you have a $300 bow, go for the standard $100 accessory package. You know, $30 site, $40 rest, $30 release. There's nothing wrong with that because, again, if you're buying that bow and that package, it's probably because you're new to the sport, you don't really know any better, or you just have a, a tighter budget in general. And so there's no sense in trying to go over budget or overshoot what your um, initial impressions of archery are going to be. Um, cause you don't know the difference between a $30 release and a $130 release because you've never shot both side by side long enough to know the difference. Yep. Um, and a lot of budget, particularly sites nowadays are really good, really good. Last year I shot a $55 CBE tactic three pin site. I hunted every day of the woods in the woods with that site last year, uh, killed all the deer with that thing. And I own $400 sites. Wow. And they sat at the house and collected dust, wow. right? It's just, it didn't matter. It was a, it's a really good, well-built site made in the USA for CBE. And that's just, it's a quality product. So you don't have to, in a lot of cases, spend a lot to get a lot. Um, now, if you want some fancy leveling things and that type of stuff, again, if you have an expensive bow, you're probably also in the market for expensive accessories to deck that thing out. Um, you know, I, I rarely do I see a guy that goes, Oh, I have $400 for the bow and I have 700 for accessories. Usually they're going to, they're going to go for the flagship and then kind of pick and choose the, the cheaper <laughs> accessories to fill in the blanks. Yep. But I like to see people try to match like and like, and get a quality, the bow and the accessories of quality that meet each other. Yeah. That way you don't, you don't end up having a huge gap in performance. You don't have a, a major weak link, weak link in uh in your setup right and it's and it you know because one could make or break the the scenario um i I shouldn't say make or break but one could enhance the other or be a detriment to the other you know if you put a a 70 dollar rest or excuse me a a really 170 dollar rest like a hamski on a 200 dollar budget bow it's not going to enhance the budget bow because it's still just a really expensive rest on that thing. But if you put that on a high flagship level bow, now you're taking advantage of the parallel limb design and how it's meant. Though they design those bows to be used for those expensive rests. They don't design budget bows to be used with the new $250 Hamsky Epsilon. Yep. They don't, they're not, they don't, they don't, they're not trying to pair those up. 
Yep. Um, the engineers at Hanskin are like, ooh, I wonder if we could put this on a mission switch. <laughs> see, <laughs> see if we can get that, that mom in her 50s trying to shoot a bow for the first time can shoot. They know what their market is. They yep. know who they're trying to make these for and the quality that they're trying to do. So it just it make it either be the same or slightly enhance it, but you can only enhance so much. Yep. So the next thing I want to talk about then, as we're looking through our accessories, I, you know, I've, I've gone in with a bow, uh, or I've gone in, bought a bow, gotten it outfitted, all that good stuff. I've even, I brought my wife in to buy a bow one time and uh, the guy pulled it out and it was pink and like a pink bubbly camo kind of thing that PSE had done. And, uh, he saw it in her eyes and he knew right then and there that he had me like he, he knew that there was no coming back from that. So he was like, he was like, I've got this guy. He wants his wife to hunt. She likes the color pink. Here we go. And so he just starts pulling out everything that he can find. That's basically in the color pink. And I was like, dude, you're about to make me go broke. Like, I don't even know what half of these accessories are. So when it comes to setting up a bow, what do I actually need? There are tons of bells and whistles out there. What do I need on that bow to have an enjoyable shooting experience and to kill deer? So the, I'll start with the peep. So the peep, if you have a bow that has a decent ish set of string cables on it, I'm thinking a bow that's going to be in the 400 to 600 range and up. You're going to have a decent set of string cables. You can put in a good quality aluminum peep. I like Pine Ridge Z38 peeps or RAD Superduce 38 peeps. They're like nine bucks, eight bucks at your local at your local archery shop. That's a good quality peep. Have a good aperture to it, and um, you can match it up with your sight housing really well. If you have a cheaper bow that has cheaper strings, please, for the love of goodness, put a peep with a rubber tube on it mm. that will be straight every single time. Yep. And if you don't know what that is, Google that peep with a rubber tube, and you'll see the difference between a, a tubeless peep and a tube peep. Uh, cheaper strings they'll just stretch differently they'll react differently and they'll might twist your peep and if you don't have the rubber tube on there to to straighten it out at full draw you might not be able to see through your peep and yep. you will have again a horrible shooting experience yep. so you know kind of following that cheap string adage go with that peep quality peep you don't have to spend forty dollars on a peep you can but be careful what you try to overshoot overbow yourself or overshoot yourself with um We've covered the rest already. Whisker biscuit drop away. You do what you want there. Um, the site itself, for a lot of bow hunters, northeast, midwest, up north where you are, three or four pins is all you need. It's really all you need. Um, some of the cheaper site housings uh, from some of the cheaper manufacturers, they won't actually have a perfect ring. So most on the side that you actually look at, they're not a perfect ring. They actually kind of like look like a a giant capital D I would avoid those because mm -hmm. it's not a good circular thing for your eye to lock in on. Um, but a, a 30, 40, $50 site like that CBE tactic, it's a great site. Three pins. It's all you need. 20, 30, 40. If you're a lady and you shoot shorter distances, 10, 15, 20 or 15, 20, 25, whatever it may be. You don't need seven pins. You don't need a single pin slider that shoots out to a hundred yards. <laughs> you really don't. Are you sure? If you're a hundred, if you're, YouTube I'm tells me hard. I do. YouTube tells me I need that. Brandon McDonald stepped off his French porch and shot 80 yards yesterday. I saw it. I need to do that. <laughs> um, sorry. Sorry, Brandon. Brandon's a good dude. Brandon's a good friend. Um, great guy. Hilarious. Um, 
but no, like that kind of thing. Like if you're, if you're hunting or if you're just recreationally shooting three or four pin sites, don't get wound about five, seven pins, single pins with all these tapes. It's not, again, don't overbow yourself in this regard. Don't over accessorize yourself. Um, and then in terms of a stabilizer, a stabilizer is meant to stabilize. If you don't need to stabilize, you like the lighter bow, you don't feel like you have a lot of wonkiness, then just get a cheap stabilizer. I like big, heavy bows, and they need a little extra stabilization to them. So I have to buy longer stabilizers, which are generally more money, you know, 10, 12 inches long. You can get away with a four or six, eight inch stabilizer if you have a lighter bow, and you don't need $100. They make trophy Ridge makes a great stabilizer. I think it's like 20 bucks. I shoot. I think they're on my website. Averagecheckarchery.com. Buy a trophy Ridge blitz stabilizer and wrestling. They're like 20 bucks. Wow. It's great. Um, yeah. And it's, and, it, and it does exactly what it's intended to be lightweight and reduce vibration. So, um, in, in terms of those type of things, those are just kind of enhancing the shooter feel and experience. And you can mix and match those as much as you would like to. But don't go into the weeds thinking that if you buy a $90 beasting or stabilizer, that you're all of a sudden going to be shooting three-inch groups at 100 yards. That's not how accessories work. Accessories are there to enhance your shooting experience. And the difference between a a $40 stabilizer and $80 stabilizer is not going to enhance it that much if you're not shooting, say, a flagship level bow, for example. Yep. That's good. That's good. Let, let's walk through a couple of these things. Um, and I, and I want to start with that, with that, um, with the site piece. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there are some trade-offs here. You mentioned, you know, guys, most guys need a three pin site. I think it's, you know, probably true that a lot of guys who are shooting a decent poundage without shooting super heavy arrows can probably even get away safely with a one with a single pin side, if they've got some, if they've got some discipline when they're out in the woods and they're not going to try to fling one at 45, right. you know what I'm saying? Uh, not going to throw a hail Mary out there at one. Um, what are my options when it comes to, to sites? Because they're, they come in all kinds of shapes and looks to them. And are there any trade-offs? Is there a benefit to a, a single pin slider versus a, a three pin that come from the side or single pin that comes up from the bottom. Like what, what are, what are my options and what are the trade-offs there? So there are from every manufacturer, every manufacturer is going to offer again, different. And it depends on if you go to a shop or if you're shopping online, hopefully go to a shop, support your local business, depending on what they're a dealer for. Um, so I'm a dealer for most major manufacturers of sites. Um, so I have trophy Ridge CBE B three, spot hog, uh, true ball and their cheaper stuff. Um, you know, I, I see a little bit of everything, but they're all in their price points, very comparable to each other. There's, there's never really one brand that's like eons better at the $50 price point than everybody else. Mm-hmm. I just so happen to shoot the CBE. I like CBE. I have confidence again, can't sell you confidence, but I can buy it Buy confidence. I've, I've had a lot of confident experiences with CBE sites and I will continue to do so. So for me, I have always shot fixed pin sites, three, four, five pin sites. I'm used to seeing that. I now, however, am getting older and my eyeballs are a little fuzzier than they used to be. And we see a lot of guys that are having, uh, or ladies that have issues with eyesight, going to a single pin. 
um, and particularly if they struggle with near with they're more farsighted than they are nearsighted, so they can't really see things that are close to their eye, particularly that are really small. And so putting a whole bunch of little tiny colored dots in front of their eye doesn't go very well. And so they want to shoot a single pin sight because it's only one little dot in that sight housing. And if, like you said, if they're disciplined, you know, Hey, I know that my max shot today is 25 yards or 20 yards or 30 yards. I'm going to set my slider sight to that. And that is what I'm going to be shooting. That's it. Right. And there are a lot of guys that, that thrive. And, and like you alluded to with the, with the speed thing, I have a good buddy of mine, uh, whose bow is fast enough that his uh, single pin sight set of 27 yards is good from zero to 32 yards. So yep. he knows he's a couple inches high at 20 and he's a couple inches low at 32, but anything else in between is minute of deer accurate, if you will. Yep. And that's great. And a lot of guys with a normal hunting arrow and gals too can get away with something like that. So if you struggle with the vision, you can go with a single pin. And there are single pin options that are less expensive traditionally single pins are more expensive than, than fixed pin sites. And so you kind of have to watch that with a budget thing. But for most people really pick the brand that you want to be confident in and find the site that matches your budget. I like CBE. Um, I like B3. They're both excellent companies that make really good sites right here in the United States, sell a ton of them. So what do you think about um, when it comes to, you know, you're picking a site. One of the, one of the big things that I noticed when I went from a, what I would consider as, you know, a budget site to one that was a little bit nicer. When I say budget site, I mean, I had a cheap one. Like I had probably a, a $20, you know, site. And I went up to a, a, what to me at the time was an expensive site, 75 bucks. Like, man, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting on up there. Uh, I noticed the low light situation became very, very different, like dramatically different. Can you tell me why that's the case? And is there a price point where I need to get to somewhere in there where I'm going to have really good low light performance? That's a great question. So if you look at a lot of sites, a lot of them nowadays, by the time you get to that, like $60 threshold, somewhere in that flavor, 50 to 60, they will have clear plastic on the front of the side housing. And that's where they're encapsulating all of the fiber for the fiber optic pins green, red, yellow. And so that allows a lot of, because it's clear, a lot as much light as possible to touch that fiber. And since anybody knows how fiber works, the light goes to the ends of the fiber and the one end of the fiber is facing you right in the eyeball at the end of the pin. So if you find a site that has a lot of fiber and has a lot of fiber on a clear plastic part of the site, the more light you'll get to it. Some sites, when you get to that, again, that 50 to $60 price point also will have a light in conjunction with that clear plastic. So a little, uh, little black light or a little blue light, and you can turn that on some, if you get a little pricier, we'll have an adjustment low, uh, medium and high, and it'll even brighten up your pins even more. So yes, you are right. There are a lot of sites that are super cheap that don't have that wrapped extra fiber, or they're just completely covered in opaque plastic and they just don't let in as much light as possible. And you will lose uh, light in the super early morning. And then as you approach uh, the dust time there in the evening. Yeah, that was, that was this first site that I had. It had, it had zero extra fiber. So like what you had on the little, on the actual, I don't even know what the whole thing is called, but basically what you got in that little inch of. Uh, I was going to say it was like a little rainbow fiber from one end of the pin to the other. Yep. Basically that was all you had. Yeah. And uh, boy, you could, 
yeah, it might be legal shooting light, but you're not shooting anything. You weren't shooting squat no, legally. No, you, no, you can wait. You can wait another 30 minutes. You've got time. Where do you have to be? Um, yeah, so exactly. anyway, yeah, that's super good, super good point when it comes to, uh, to those sites. Now let's, let's talk about, uh, the arrow rest because <clears throat> I've always been told and, and, and always kind of thought, you know, if you buy a, a decent quality rest from a decent brand, you're not going to have trouble with a drop away. That's what I always w- was told. And I started having trouble with a drop away rest. I suspected I was having trouble with a drop away rest, but I'm not very good at archery stuff. So I took it into my local shop. They said, we can't figure out what's going on, but it's not your rest. Well, how do you know it's not my rest? Because that's a QAD rest. There's nothing going to be wrong with that rest. Sir, I feel like there's something wrong with my rest. I can't figure out what else it might be. No, we think it's just got to be your form. Like, we don't know what else it could be. Well, three months later, guess what it was? It was my rest. There was something it wrong. Was rest. Yeah, it, w- it ended up being the rest. And so um, I-, I think, you know, for some guys, they, they, they're happy. They want, they want to go the dropaway route. Some folks like me, a little less trusting. I want fewer moving parts, right? And I also want to be able to crawl up on a deer. I hunt in some, spot, in some spots that are, are really, really thick and allow me to uh, oftentimes see one at a distance but have sufficient cover to get down and move. And when I get close, I want to be able to knock that arrow and make it the last couple of yards without having to worry about whether or not it's going to come off. So tell me a bit about some of the options that I have when it comes to a good quality rest and maybe what some of the trade-offs are if I go with a drop away as opposed to a, uh, let's say a whisker biscuit. I have to ask for my own personal curiosity. Were you shooting the QAD Hunter or the HDX? Oh my goodness. I don't know. Uh, I want to say it was, did the, it have like a, did it have like an arm that came down? It was like a little L and like the whole barrel could spin. Yes. In this little arm. Yes. So you, you had the Hunter. The, yeah. I was going to say, I which, think it was the Hunter. Which is a notorious piece of garbage. Oh, see, look at, I feel so justified right now. Like I feel so justified right now. This this guy uh, swore up and down. We, uh, we deal with that. The QAD hunter, we stopped selling them. Did you really see this guy told me he was like, look, you've got a QAD rest. There's no way anything's wrong with it. The number of guys that come into the into the shop with the QED Hunter, and we know why they have the Hunter, is because they thought QAD found it on sale for like sixty five bucks, thought they were getting the HDX. Sorry, son, you don't. We can't buy the HDX for sixty five bucks, let alone <laughs> put it on sale for sixty five bucks. You have the Hunter and QAD. I don't even know. They might still make it. But it was it was notoriously terrible. Their whole barrel really? design on the inside was awful. I don't know what corners they cut on that one. But it, we would probably, I'd say one out of ten failed. Wow. It was bad. Wow. It was really bad. The HDX would never have a problem. Yeah. You could drop the thing off a cliff. That's yeah. what the guys told me. They were like, no, it's a QAD. You'll never, ever, ever in your whole life ever have a problem with that. I'm like, eh. No, the hunters have more problems okay. than they can shake a stick at. Awesome. So, so there you go. Warning to everybody who shoots Q80 Hunter um, or wants to buy one. So the drop away market, you get what you pay for. You really do. Okay. Um, and so I shoot hamskies because I'm a spoiled archery brat, you know, and they're, and they're expensive, <laughs> 140, 190 bucks for a drop away rest, but they are literally built like freaking tanks. Um, and that's just, that's just what it is. And I shoot thousands of arrows a year and I need something that's just needs to be built like a freaking tank. 
Um, the QAD HDX, not the Hunter, the QAD HDX has been made for absolute decades. It's a phenomenal rest and it's an excellent drop away. Those would be my top two recommendations. Um, uh, uh, not trophy taker, um, vapor trail also makes an excellent drop away rest. Those would probably be my top three, although I'm not a vapor trail dealer, so I don't deal with them very often. But the whisker biscuit style rest, they're all the same. They're a whisker biscuit. You know, Trophy Ridge <laughs> makes the whisker biscuit. CBE makes the Arrow Main. Octane makes one. Hostage makes one. True Glow makes one. Apex makes one. They're just brushes that hold on the Arrow. Some now you can get the there's ones that have like the three brushes of con, you know, and then the, the veins pass through. I don't like those as much. I actually like the full disc whisker biscuit. That yep. thing has killed more deer on this planet than any of the rest combined. Wow. And, um, so, you know, most whisker biscuits, I like the CB Aeromain too. It has a little more adjustment to it, um, for about the same price. Um, they're around, I think today's market around 40 bucks, 50 bucks for, you know, a lot of those rests. Um, but for the drop away market, I really feel for like, if I'm going to sell you something or set something up and I'm going to look at you and say, this rest is going to outlive you QAD, HDX, Hamski, or vapor trail. When you start mucking around with $50, $60, $70, dropways, like you could get a lemon or it could be an excellent experience, but it gets a little tricky as somebody who sells them for a living. Hey, just want to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam. As many of you know, I've really gotten into filming my hunts over the last couple of years, and this is especially true of my turkey hunts. This spring, I'm going to be running the Tacticam 5.0 and 5.0 wide cameras. I plan to have the 5.0 mounted on my bow stabilizer with the 5.0 wide looking back at my blind to get great footage from multiple angles. The 5.0 and 5.0 wide both deliver 4K 30 frame per second resolution, all in a weatherproof package. And to make it even better, they offer tons of mounts and accessories made specifically with hunters and anglers in mind. If you're looking to capture your hunting memories to share with your friends and loved ones, check out the 5.0 and 5.0 wide today at www.tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. When, when it comes to, I, I've always liked the idea of a whisker biscuit, um, you know, putting one of those on my bow. And every time I've done a little bit of research on it, you see all of these like warning flags where people are like, oh, it's going to be hard on your arrows. Oh, it's going to rip your, it's going to rip your veins off after just a couple of shots. Uh, and then, oh, you're going to, you're losing feet per second. You're losing feet per second. You're losing speed on that. Is that really that big of a deal? Uh, Josh Jones from Podium Archer, uh, who owns a huge uh, Podium Archery out or Podium Archery or Podium Archer out in Spokane, Washington, did a test with a whisker biscuit and he lost one and a half feet per second, which wow. is imperceptible. Yeah. Imperceptible. He has a video on his YouTube channel about it from not too long ago. Um, that's imperceptible is one and a half. And that was always kind of the guesstimate was about two to three feet per second at the most at launch. Um, and then it doesn't, and then it doesn't matter. Um, they used to be very hard on fletchings when we used to shoot long, very soft fletchings, uh, like the old flex fletch and the old vein techs, four or five inch fletchings that got really wrinkled and crinkled. Today's blazer vein, Q2I, uh, um, AAE stuff, really stiff, really tough fletching. It's not the same. You just don't get the same level of abuse that you get out of it. So the speed is not a problem. 
and the level of abuse to the arrows, unless you unless you do a custom fletch on your arrows and you put a really strong offset or helical and they're really smashing into the bristles of the QA or of the of the um, of the of the whisker biscuit, you're not going to experience any issues with it whatsoever. We we set up countless guys a year with whisker biscuit style rests and standard, you know, couple degrees of offset fletching, never hear one complaint. Wow. So what what then are some of the trade-offs? I mean, obviously cost is a big trade-off, right? I mean, if I go with a whisker biscuit, I'm 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 not going to get a decent drop away for the same price as a whisker biscuit. It's just not going to happen. What might steer me towards a good quality drop away instead of a whisker biscuit? Cuz as I think about it, I'm like, man, if I can get a whisker biscuit for 40 bucks, it's going to hold on to my arrow all the time. I can turn my bow any direction that I want to and not worry about it flopping off or or making noise. That's a big one. It's maybe it's not going to fall off, but it's going to make a little bit of noise possibly. Why would I consider a drop away over a whisker biscuit? So for the drop away itself, and I alluded to this earlier for me anyway, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of arrows um, a year for me and of all different aspects of the sport of archery. So I'm shooting skinny arrows, fat arrows, normal diameter arrows for hunting, um, lots of different things. And whisker biscuits do wear out. I would probably wear out a whisker biscuit in a, in, a, in half a season with the wow. amount of arrows that I shoot. Wow. Um, you know, they are meant to shoot and they're meant to be replaceable. The discs are meant to be replaceable because bristles will wear down with time. Um, but I would probably in a season wear out a whisker biscuit with just the amount of shooting. Whereas I've had the same hand ski now for four years and it doesn't even look like I shot it. Wow. Um, so for me, particularly the amount of shooting I do, and if you are going to be a high volume shooter and you do start off with a whisker biscuit, you notice you're getting a lot of wear. You might need to replace it sooner than later. Maybe you do want to try a drop away because you're not going to get that same level of, of, uh, of wear and tear. Um, also going back to the many fields of archery, so I shoot fat arrows for target archery to catch some lines, you know, indoors and in 3D. Well, the whisker biscuit's only one diameter hole, right? And it's meant for standard diameter carbon arrows or smaller diameter carbon arrows for hunting. And since I shoot fat arrows, I shoot standard, I shoot skinnies, it doesn't make sense for me because then I would have to change out whole whisker biscuits for different diameters. I don't want to do that. By the time I do that, I have the same amount of money tied up as I would into a good drop away. Yep. So yep. If, you, if you plan on shooting you know, trying your local indoor league or trying an outdoor league 3d and you want to shoot a little bit diet, different diameter arrow to maybe snag some points here and there. Maybe the whisker biscuits, not for you, uh, in the sense that, you know, you just kind of want to have a, a one catch all QAD HDX. will do them all. A Hamski will do them all. Vapor trail will do them all. Um, there's probably some other brands I'm completely blanking on, but yeah. Awesome. Let's, let's pivot just a little bit and, and talk about, um, stabilizers. You, you talked about stabilizers just a moment ago and uh, I currently do not shoot with a stabilizer on my bow. Uh, I just swapped it out. Uh, I have a, a Tacticam camera mount now on the front of my bow, which is sweet. Um, but I realized with my previous bow, I had this stabilizer coming off the front of it. And I was like, why do I have that there? Mostly because it looks cool. Um, mostly because I want to look like my buddy at the range. And you know, do they really make a difference? I, I've heard some debate out there as to whether or not for hunting purposes, you know, for whitetail hunting purposes here east of the Mississippi, right? Like we, we have a very, very close shots. Uh, we're not shooting whitetails at 80 yards, right? 
So, uh, well, you shouldn't be. I'll just go ahead and go on the record and yeah. say you should not be oh, shooting whitetails. Oh, there are guys that are trying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen some YouTube videos of guys that have done it, and they're like, wow, excellent shot, man. It's like, no, not an excellent shot. Do not reward that. Anyway, um, so should I be shooting a stabilizer? Like, well, make make a case there one way or the other for the average so, whitetail hunter. Yeah. Garrett Prawl. The DIY sportsman had a, in his very engineering based mind has an excellent video on his YouTube channel where he tests the viability of shooting a front bar, shooting a back bar only shooting front and back bar, shooting a long stabilizer, shooting a storage stabilizer. And he, I don't know how many hours he spent in that video. You should go watch it. DIY sportsman stabilizer, put it in YouTube. It's great. Um, and I, I want to say he came with the conclusion that like, a back sta- a short back stabilizer to just offset the weight of his rest and really and uh and sight was like the best situation which goes completely against what we all do we all do a front bar that's like the number one thing we do and then if you really won't be fancy you hope pinkies up while you're drinking your tea you could do both front and back bar yeah. which is what i do right so the the misnomer with stabilizers that people think stabilizer when they think stabilizer they think oh vibration control yep that's not it's if we if it was a vibration control then we would call it a vibration controller we call it a <laughs> not- stabilizer <laughs> right yep. we yep. call it a vibration yep. controller absolutely it's to stabilize what the bow we want it to be as, as as slow moving as possible that's why target shooters shoot really long stabilizers they're hard to move slow moving that's what we need a stabilizer to be. If you're shooting and you take your stabilizer off and you're shooting exactly the same, then the stabilizer is not stabilizing anything. Yep. Right. You're not getting better. So guys like me, I have a big, long, heavy bow. I have a lot of weight on the one side of my bow because I put a quiver on there and then a sight and a rest. And I shoot some beefier stuff. I like high end stuff and it tips my bow to the right. So I put a stabilizer on to tip it back to the left, to counterbalance, to stabilize what I need to do. If I shot really light, uh, more budget friendly for a lot of those things are usually smaller and, and lighter, um, then I would probably not need that back bar. I don't even need the front bar, right? So if you find that you shoot no better, you are no better, you play, you're no better with it or without it, then you don't need it. And if you don't want to monkey with it, then don't monkey with it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, let's jump over now. And and this one is a is a topic we kind of, I think, joked about it just a little while ago. Um, when it comes to your relationship, right? And, and I think that this can have a huge disproportionate effect on the way that you shoot compared to your other accessories. Like you can get by with some cheaper stuff on the, on the, on the rest. You can get by with some cheaper sites. Uh, you can get by with just skipping the stabilizer. You get a, a release that's not halfway decent and you're probably going to struggle. So talk to me about the different kinds of releases and like, where, where would you point somebody who is, uh, who says, yeah, I'm going to shoot a good bit out in the yard just for fun with my buddies and I'm going to hunt deer with it. And that's about it. I'm not shooting at Vegas, right? Like I'm not trying to do any kind of crazy target stuff. I may hit a total archery challenge, you know, 3d event. I think the, the number one wrist uh, is going to be wrist strap style release. 
right? It buckles yeah. onto your wrist. It helps the, you to draw the bow a little bit easier. They're usually the least expensive, and there's a bajillion configurations of it. Velcro and buckle strap. Skip the Velcro, just get a buckle strap. They're usually the same price. <laughs> yep. Just, yeah. just get the buckle strap. No one wants to hear <laughs> when you're trying to put your release on. Including the deer that you're um, trying to hunt. Oh, it's. I'll tell a very brief story. I shot a true ball stinger for years and I had, it was a Velcro strap release. And I was just very comfortable with it. I got it as a kid and I was still shooting it as probably what, even through the end of college. And one day I, I used to wear a face mask when I would bow hunt and I was kind of wearing a light one that had mesh on it. And I went to draw back and I had a, uh, I was shooting a Velcro release and wouldn't you have it that Velcro release caught into the mesh of my face mask no. and turned the face mask completely sideways on my face while I'm at full draw on a doe. No. <laughs> I couldn't see anything. <laughs> I couldn't see a darn thing. And oh. uh, and so I had to let down. And of course, you hear the whole Velcro rip out of the mesh face mask. So I never, I, I, I threw that thing. I still have it, but I threw it in the back of a box somewhere. And I've always shot a buckle strap since. Man. Um. But again, uh, going back to what I've said earlier about with sites, every company, B3, Trueball, Scott, uh, Truefire, um, you name it, they all make fantastic releases at different price points. And most of them are going to be a caliper style. So it's going to be two jaws that open and close like an alligator. Some of them only have a one, you know, where the one side of the jaw, it doesn't matter. I get asked that question all the time, single caliper or dual caliper. I'm like, well, there's only so many ways to pinch onto a D loop. So they're going to make both to sell you something. There's <laughs> only so many ways. Um, I shot dual calipers where they both open together at the same time. And I shot that for absolute years. Um, never had a problem with it. Um, what I shoot now and was very hesitant about for many years is an open hook style release. Um, and I really, really like an open hook style release. Mm. And um, mm. I was very hesitant about it because I thought, oh, I will the D loop will slip off the open hook or, or this thing and that thing in particular, if you kind of have a fumble fingers, uh, you know, maybe you have a tremor, uh, maybe you struggle to see things in the dark or up close again, going back to the eyesight thing. If you have to hunt with cheaters or something like that, try an open hook because an open hook style release, you don't have to open and close the jaws around the release. You just hook right in and you start drawing your bow. And, uh, back in 2020, I had shot a doe here in PA where, I, she came into range, I hooked on, I shot her. And it wasn't until afterwards that I thought I never looked down at my D loop. I just, wow. I just felt with my thumb, right? I just felt with my thumb, felt it hooked in, never once broke eye contact by looking at the deer drew back and made the shot. Whereas most of the time that split second, you have to kind of look down, find the D loop, fiddle with the jaws for a second, then look over the deer might've moved a little bit. And, it, and then all of a sudden you're panicking. Cause she's not where she was, where you left her or whatever. Yep. Um, so those are the three, those are the three main styles and, and the, the, the wrist strap style release is going to serve 99% of archers for 99% of their needs. Even in the target world, there are some really high end target shooters that still shoot wrist strap style releases. Um, and quite frankly, I would argue that the main reason why, uh, target shooters don't shoot wrist strap style releases because they don't like it flopping. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. But as, yeah. but as a hunter, you don't care. Yep. Um, they're really very effective. They're very crisp. They're very high tolerance. A wrist strap style release is a great option. And unlike the bows where I say, go try a whole bunch, that's very difficult with releases. Yep. 
um, because manufacturers don't give us shops. Here's the demo models. They don't give us that. So we have to open up the package, you know, eat the cost of that release to keep it as a test demo. It's not very cost effective. So that's, you're going to kind of have to swing for the fences and hope whatever you kind of like, or what, we, what we've talked about off air is like, we got, I have a box of releases downstairs just from trying different things. And I don't shoot any of them anymore because they just didn't suit my fancy. Mm. Yeah, so, so if you need a release, contact you and uh, ask, <laughs> ask to buy some of your used I'll stuff. I'll wrap it up in a Walmart bag and put it in a bubble envelope and send it to you. There you go. There you go. <laughs> That's hilarious. So um, when it when it comes to a release, though, um, is there a specific brand or, or maybe it's, it's better to say because brands can be pretty equal around price point, right, as far as quality goes and performance goes. Is there a price point that you're going to say, don't go below this? You're you're going to be sad if you go below this. So the with the exception of the true ball stinger. The True Ball Stinger is arguably the best $50 release that I've ever shot. I'm not mm. kidding. I own three of them. They're downstairs. And the reason I own them is because there's a there's a junior model, a youth model that my wife shoots, one that I bought for my kids when they get older, and then there's another one that I have myself. Um, the It just has a great trigger placement. The jaws work really well. It has lots of adjustment, and it's very inexpensive compared to a lot of things. Most other brands, though, and even with Trueball itself, really below the $75 mark, it gets kind of ho-hum. Okay. Not bad, not breaking, but it gets kind of ho-hum. The adjustments of how cold or how hot you can set a trigger, that gets, kinda, that gets a little more picky. It's not as finite. When you get to that $75 mark, you're getting into releases that the engineers at that company are like, we need this release, hmm. right? Okay. When they make them release less than that, they're like, "This, the masses need this release, but we need this release. And I find that $75 mark, every company has one. Uh, that $75 to $95 mark, that's like their number one release. And then when you start getting to 100 150 the quality just gets better and better. The adjustments get better and better. Um, and But again, you'll get to a point where like, do you know the difference between 75 and 175? Mm. So my, la my last question then on this whole topic of, of accessories, cause man, it, it's, it's such a huge conversation and there are so many options out there. I mean, we talked about bows earlier, right? Like there are lots of options for bows, but man, the accessory space is just absolutely loaded. And if you dare, Indated. if you dare go online, there will be 10,000 brands that you've never heard of and they all make a site or they all make a rest. Um, where are you going to point a guy when he, when it comes time to make that choice? Because I can't go and shoot. I can go shoot five different bows and buy a bow. I can't go shoot five different rests. Kind of like you said earlier with, with the releases, I can't try a bunch of releases. I can't try a bunch of rests. I can't try a bunch of sites and get a feel for how they are and perform in a low light situation. So, help me make this decision. Am I just looking for a, for a Nate and saying, Hey, you're going to have to help or what, what am I doing? Ideally, if you have a local shop, do make resource of that. Okay. Sure. Maybe you can find a two or $3 price point difference on Amazon. Listen, you can't, I, I've, I've said it a bazillion times. I know I can't sell you confidence, but I know I can sell you experience. So, like I can say, listen, 
that Trophy Ridge, I'll just pick on Trophy Ridge because they make a lot of budget sites or something like that. That Trophy Ridge, I can tell you right now, loses its low light, right? Or, you know, uh, or, or this CBE has great adjustment. A lot of the times when you go to read like Amazon reviews or if you go to forums and stuff, a lot of times people that buy uh, budget stuff or particular price point stuff enjoy it because they use it in a particular realm of archery. So, for example, a backyard shooter, the guy who just goes out and has fun, he's not shooting in low light. He's shooting at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. Of course he can see his pins clearly. Great for him. <laughs> and that's what he's going to write in his review. It's nice and crisp. It's well built. But he's never dropped it out of a tree from 20 feet in the air. Yep. And he's never tried to shoot a deer at 7 o'clock in the morning. Yep. So, like, but I have. And your bow shop has, and they can say, listen, this might be a great price point, but if you want to hunt or if you just want to target shoot or whatever the case may be for you, this is what I would recommend. And that's what I would strongly, strongly look at. If they're generous enough, maybe they will open the package for you and say, here, go downstairs and try this release in particular sites. You know, obviously with the pins are tough, but go try this release and see if it works for you. Um, I try to do that as much as possible when feasible, you know, if the packaging, you know, we don't have to like eat the package in order to get the release out of it, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with all the stinking cryovac. <laughs> but that's the thing. Make loose. If you have the ability, make use of your local shop. Forums are great. Facebook groups are great, but everybody has their own specific opinion based on where they live and the style of art that they have. The people at your local shop live with you. And they have the same experiences in hunting. They hunt the same critters. They hunt the same land. They could give you a good feel of what would be best for you in your particular region of the country. Yeah, absolutely. And and another thing too, like you said, you might be able to go on Amazon, find it for a little bit cheaper, percent, two percent, three percent, ten percent, even in in some cases. But you, you can't call Jeff Bezos when it messes up, or when you're having a hard time with it, or if you're. Uh, you know, you, you do like I, I did after, shortly after buying my current site. I snapped one pin off of it. Where do I go to get one pin for this specific site? Well, I call, I call my bow guy, right? Like, and he, he hooks me up. Jeff Bezos isn't going to do that. He doesn't care about you or your stupid bow. Um, that is great. And so, that's, that's the other thing, too. Like, if you, you know, if you bought a site for me and it starts to break, I'm going to do everything I can to fix it for you. Yep. I'm going to call the manufacturer. I'm going to get you the part. If maybe we have the stock part on hand. Shoot, maybe while you uh, take that, you know, I take that site for warranty work, I give you a site, in, it might not be the same site, but I give you a site to get you back up and running that we have in the back that we're not using. You're not getting that from Jeff. No. You know? <laughs> no. He does not give a rip about your hunting season. He does not care about your $50 <laughs> CBE tactic. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Man, oh man. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. This has been excellent. Why don't you tell folks where they can go to find out more from you? Yeah, come bug me over on Average Jack Archery on YouTube, uh, social media, Average Jack Archery, Facebook, and Instagram. Drop comments there. Send me messages there. Uh, always happy to help. Or if you want to write something a little bit longer, AverageJackArchery at gmail.com. I get back. If you write me a coherent question and you want troubleshooting or gear reviews or recommendations, budget options, whatever, let me know. I'll try to help out as best that I can. And rumor has it there's going to be a pretty sweet archery shop that people should go support because it's a local archery shop opening up somewhere near you. Yeah, somewhere, right? uh, somewhere near me, just like 15, 20 minutes down the road. Uh, I think it's called Average Jack Archery, actually. It's really, really? The owner's a little wackadoodle. Yeah, he's 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 not near the fruitcake, but, um, but it should be a nice <laughs> building. Uh, it should be a nice facility, 
And uh, yeah, we'll have a full range in the basement, full retail upstairs and opening July 1st and uh, hopefully have a website for people to support uh, from around the country. Awesome. So if you're in Central PA, go check it out. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can find more outdoor-themed podcasts from the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network at sportsmansnation.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to Nate for coming on. Make sure to go check out his YouTube channel, Average Jack Archery, and thanks to our partners at Tacticam. Head over to tacticam.com to check out their full line of cameras and accessories made with the hunter in mind. Share your hunt with Tacticam.